Um, I get the privilege today of jumping into the fifth beatitude, and I'm going to catch you up a little bit. If you haven't been here over the last few weeks, we have been talking about the beatitudes that are found in the book of Matthew, and these are some statements that Jesus gave to us as he began what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus was beginning to talk about these beatitudes, Um, And beginning to, to roll out the sermon, he said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come near. And this, in the Beatitudes, is sort of what it looks like. And what we've been saying about this is often we read the Beatitudes. I did this when I was younger. I would read them and I would think, oh man, I better work really hard to be more righteous because he's saying I need to be righteous. And I better try really hard to be more meek. And, and you know what, I, I, who are those who are poor in spirit? I'm not even sure what that means. And, and I thought that I somehow needed to fit into one of these categories and be one of these kind of people. And what I've realized is that it's not eight different kinds of people. It's not eight different you know, ways that we find ourselves, but it's actually eight qualities of the kingdom of God. And as the kingdom of God draws near into our lives, we become those who are poor in spirit. We become those who are meek. We become those who, who mourn because we recognize the weight of our sin on our own lives and in the world around us. We become those who we're going to talk about today are more merciful. So that fifth beatitude that we're going to jump into today says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I, I'm going to be honest, before I get too far into this, I struggled a little bit with this message this week, and I'm probably going to end up reading my notes a little more than I normally do, because this was a hard one for me to even wrestle through. We're going to hit some hard things today. And so I'll apologize for that a little bit up first, but I will never apologize for delivering the word of God in a way that would actually impact your life and change things. You may find it a little heavy today. You may find that, but I hope that you find that it is good and that is good for you is that okay we're still going to be friends when it's over all right no one's really saying anything I don't know what to do about that (sighs) thank you Brenda so what is mercy let's start there let's first define mercy because I think sometimes we we hear compassion we hear grace we hear mercy and we get these words a little bit confused so I want to break this down for us first Do you remember when we did the series on Exodus 34 and the first thing that God said about himself, the most important thing he wanted us to know was, remember, he was compassionate and merciful. And do you remember that we said that compassionate was a feeling word? He feels compassion towards us. Mercy is an action word. It is what he does because he feels compassion for us. The two go hand in hand. They almost feel like synonyms to us. They're very closely related, but they're a little bit different. As it is with grace and mercy. Grace, both grace and mercy, first of all, are free gifts from God. We can do nothing to earn either one of them. They are certainly not deserved. But grace, by definition, is not getting what you deserve. It is a pardon from sin. Mercy, on the other hand, is receiving what you do not deserve. And in the kingdom of God, we get life. 
instead of death. We deserve death because of our sin. That was the price that needed to be paid. But thank God that Jesus took that upon himself on the cross in the greatest act of mercy ever. And he took the weight of our sin in our place so that we could have life. That is mercy. That is the mercy of God in action. Mercy isn't just a great concept. And it isn't something that God has. Because if it was something that he had, he could run out of it. Thank God he is mercy. And he never runs dry. His mercy is new every morning, the Bible says. Great is his faithfulness to us. When we need more mercy, there's mercy upon mercy there and available to us. It is who he is. He's got more than enough mercy for us. And come on, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad his mercy is new every morning because I need it pretty much every morning, right? I want to read a couple of scriptures about how we saw mercy revealed in Jesus. In Titus 3, it says this, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. I love that. When he revealed his kindness and love. Because you know what? A lot of people thought that he was mean and angry. And when we read the Old Testament, don't some of us think he's kind of mean and angry too? But he wasn't. There's not one God of the Old Testament and another God of the New Testament. He is always 100% just and always 100% merciful. That's hard for us to understand. We're going to read later the scripture that says mercy, that we hear things like this in the Bible, that mercy triumphs over justice. So we, in our minds, tend to think that he must be about 51% mercy and maybe 49% just. No. He's 100% of each. That's really hard for us to understand. We're going to learn today how he prefers mercy. The scripture goes on to say, He revealed his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, because Lord knows there aren't many righteous things that we do, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life. So that's grace and mercy. He washed away our sins, that's grace, and he gave us new life, that's mercy. Through his Holy Spirit, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I want to read another scripture in Ephesians 2. It says this, God is so rich in mercy. That word rich means that he is abundant in mercy. He has it in abundance, mercy for us. It means he never runs out of mercy. He is so rich in mercy. It is a never-ending resource of our Father. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, there it is again, mercy. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. I hope you're getting the point here this morning. 
on the cross. Mercy and justice met in the most beautiful of circumstances. Something we can barely understand. We have a merciful king. He loves us so much. He loves to act in mercy towards us. In Matthew 9 and 12, Jesus quotes actually from Hosea 6, 6 in the Old Testament, and he says these words that many of us know, I desire mercy over sacrifice. Note that word desire. I desire mercy over sacrifice. My heart lean. The way I want to be dispositioned towards you is mercy. I desire that. It means it's my preference. It's my will. I long to show you mercy rather than sacrifice. Sacrifice speaks of the Old Testament way. Sacrifice speaks of obligation. It speaks of having to pay for what you have done. It speaks about making it right before God. Mercy, on the other hand, speaks of relationship. I'd rather show you mercy than make you pay. That's what God's saying. I know sin has a grip on your life, but I would rather show you mercy than make you pay for it. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is the mercy of God? He doesn't prefer mercy because he is light on sin, because he certainly is not, but because his heart is for the redemption and renewal of mankind. God isn't light on sin. Sin matters a lot. The cross says that sin matters terribly. And again, like I said, on the cross, we saw the greatest display of mercy when Jesus took our sin upon himself. Justice was served, and he broke that penalty of death and gave us life. Mercy. Oh, mercy. We don't get what we deserve. We don't have to pay for our sin. We get an abundant and full new life in Christ. Jesus died. We live. That is the message of the gospel. Oh, mercy. Oh, mercy. Time after time in the gospels, Jesus came face to face with sinners and sufferers. And time after time, they would cry out in his presence, Lord, have mercy on me. Like when they walked into his presence, they realized he was the only one who could set things right. He was the only one who could take care of their sin and suffering. He was the only one who could do for them what they could not do for themselves. Lord, have mercy on me. Blessed are you when you have encountered such mercy. Blessed are you when you remember how desperate you are and how in need you are of God's mercy in your own life. Do you remember the day that mercy got a hold of your life? Do you remember the day when you felt the full weight of your sin and you threw yourself into the presence of God and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you remember that? I feel like The message that Jesus is saying in this beatitude for us is that we need to allow mercy to do a work 
to soften our hearts. We have to allow mercy, the mercy he had on us, to work in us and soften our hearts towards other people. If mercy is the character of the king of the kingdom, the more time we spend with him, the more merciful we will become. The more mercy we will be able to release to other people around us. We can't allow ourselves to grow cold towards mercy. We have to keep this a soft spot in our hearts because it is continually a soft spot in God's heart. He is continually looking at us with compassion and softness and saying, I would prefer to give you mercy. I would prefer that. That is what I want for you. Mercy is a mark that the kingdom of God is at work in my life. If I'm merciful to other people, it is evidence that God has been at work in my life. It's evidence that I've been hanging out with Jesus. Because let's face it, human nature is not very merciful. We're not genuinely or generally very merciful towards other people in and of ourselves. It is a quality we pick up from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is infectious. It's always expanding and growing. From the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God said to them, here's here's your mission. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. What he was saying was the reality that you experience with me here in the garden, I want you to take it and fill the earth with it. I want you to expand the borders of this kingdom and fill the earth. And we know that unfortunately sin stopped that plan in its tracks. But through Jesus and the birth of the church, God is again expanding and and infecting the world with his kingdom. And we get to partner with him and be a part of that when we do things like showing mercy to other people. When mercy has had an impact in our lives, when we've allowed it to work in us and to move us with softness and compassion before the, the sinner and the suffering, the kingdom of God is expanded and grows and is released through our lives. Oh, what a beautiful thing that is. As we grow in Christ, we grow in our ability to release mercy. And we need that. Mercy flows through us and expands the kingdom. It has an impact for the kingdom of God. And that is what we are called to do. God blesses those who are merciful. For they will be shown mercy. And this is the part that I've struggled with a little bit. Because on first read, this beatitude sounds like mercy is a requirement to receive mercy. But we know that's not how God works. Right? So there's this wrestle. It's a wrestle that New Testament writers wrote about in almost every book. This wrestle back and forth between the old kingdom and the new kingdom. The wrestle between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The wrestle between the old covenant and the new covenant. The wrestle between our 
our lean towards judgment and God's lean towards mercy. I want to read a scripture for you. It's one of the ones I don't like. I don't know if you have scriptures like that. I definitely do. Ones I don't like, I read them and I'm like, I'm not really sure. I don't understand that. I don't like it. I'd rather just walk away, but I've learned I've had to lean into them and let God reveal his character because when you understand his character, you will understand his word. When you understand who he is, then you'll understand what he's saying. So let's read this really unlovable kind of scripture here. Can I say that? I just said that in church. Whoops. Okay. Luke 6, verse 35, I'm going to start reading. It says this. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Here we go again. It's starting to sound like a tit-for-tat thing here. It's starting to sound like this is a requirement. Do not judge others, or you will and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Do you understand why I don't like this part of scripture very much? Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Isn't that abundance right there? The amount you give will determine the amount you receive back. Now, this is hard to read. He talked in this this portion of scripture about, leave that one up just for a sec, because I want to get to that, please. Compassion, judgment, forgiveness. These are all very interrelated things. And then he says this about giving and receiving, which we quote all of the time about money. When Jesus said it, it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with mercy. When you give mercy, you will receive mercy. Your gift of mercy to others will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together, poured into your lap. And the amount of mercy you give will determine the amount of mercy you get back. Well, we've misquoted that so many times in the church. Jesus wasn't talking about money at all. He was talking about compassion and forgiveness and kindness. When you release what he's done for you to other people, You start this flow in your life where he pours back into you more than you could have ever imagined. But when we stop it, we stop the flow into our own lives. Now, this is hard stuff. And I don't believe that what Jesus was really saying was that mercy is a requirement for mercy. That doesn't make any sense according to the gospel. Because we have to go back to two basic facts. 
two basic facts about the kingdom of God. The first one is, God always makes the first move. God always makes the first move. He always moved first. For God so loved the world, he made the first move. He sent his son to show us what love and compassion and mercy looks like. To give us eternal life. He made the first move and all he requires of us is that we respond in kind. That we respond in what he has done to us. That when his love is showered on us, that we shower his love out on others. That when we have received his mercy, we can then, we can then release his mercy to others. That when we have received and understand his compassion, and we let these things work inside of our hearts, we can release them to other people. God reached out to us first in mercy. He did what we could not do to set everything right. And we are called to respond to his mercy, to allow it to work in us and through us. The arrival of Jesus and the teaching of the kingdom was shaking things up in the world in which he lived in. He was beginning to preach and teach to Israelites, Jewish people who had lived by an old law system. They were used to penalty for their sin. They were used to having to make a sacrifice for their sin. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I desire mercy over sacrifice. I don't want you to have to pay any more for what you've done. I paid it for you. I want you to live in freedom and life. The kingdom of God was near and it was radically different. But listen, our natural lean is away from mercy. Our human hearts have a gravitational pull towards judgment. And what I feel like Jesus was saying in this scripture is that there's a problem here. You can't live by the standards of two different worlds. You can't live by the standards of two different kingdoms. If you want to live in the kingdom of life and the freedom of mercy, then you have to live by it all the time and in all ways. That's just how it works. So be careful that you don't step back into an old system where you want to make people pay. Be careful if you step into my mercy be careful that you don't step back into judgment, that you don't step back into criticism, that you don't step back into wanting people to pay for what they've done to you, that you don't step back into holding other people accountable when I have let you off the hook. And the biggest thing I think that Jesus is saying in this is how dare we come into the presence of God and ask for mercy when we have refused to give it to someone else. We saw this in the story that Jesus told of the unmerciful servant, the one whose huge debt was just literally wiped out. And then he goes out and someone else owes him a small debt and he holds that person responsible. Jesus says, that's not the way. That's not the way we do this. 
The mercy that has been extended to you is yours to extend to someone else. James 2 verse 12 says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's the law of mercy. That's the new covenant. That is what Jesus came to proclaim to us. So let's live and act as those who are going to be judged by mercy. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Here it is again. But then he says, mercy triumphs over justice. What is James saying? Mercy wins. Mercy always wins. Choose mercy. Always. Every time. Don't let yourself slip back into judgment and putting people back on the hook for the things that they've done to you. Choose mercy every single time. It always wins. No matter how hard it is for you to do it. No matter how difficult it feels in the moment. Because it does. It's counter to everything that we want and everything that we desire. We want to keep people on the hook. We want them to be accountable for the things that they've done. But when we extend mercy, we walk in the principles of the kingdom of God that we have been called into. And he comes along and he pours more mercy into our laps so that we have more to give. When we fail to release mercy, we stop the flow of mercy in our lives. We step back into the old system of judgment and payment. You can choose that whole system if you want to, but choose carefully. Choose very carefully. Because the thing about the law... The thing about the law was that if you wanted to keep one part of it, you had to keep all of it to a T, to a T. If you would prefer mercy, like Jesus prefers mercy for you, then always choose to walk in mercy. Always choose to walk in mercy. When we release mercy, we get more and more mercy to release. So where does the rubber really hit the road with this? When we're hurting. When you've been deeply hurt by the sin of another person. When you've been offended and you want to just walk away. When you have every right to hold out on someone. When you have every right in the world to cast blame. When no one would blame you for not releasing mercy, but you do it anyway, you release the very nature of God and the heart of God into our world. And you release his redemptive power into your relationships. You have the power to do that. You have the power to choose mercy. To choose to release mercy. It's in these very painful moments when it is the hardest 
to extend mercy. When we have been deeply hurt and violated by another person, it is in these very moments that we ourselves are in need of mercy. And here, right here, friends, is the power of the gospel message that when we cry out, God, have mercy on me, he does. And he comes close, so very close in our time of greatest need. And mercy himself comes near to empower us to do what we could not do on our own. Oh, mercy. Oh, mercy me. <laughs> Blessed are you when you knew, do not give those who sin against you what they deserve. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you extend kindness and pardon for sin. You will be shown mercy upon mercy. Blessed are you when you have the opportunity to release mercy as hard as it is because you get the chance to walk in sync with the heart of the Father. Blessed are you when you have the chance to partner with God in releasing his kingdom in this world and advancing it in the world around you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'm going to invite Liz to come back to the keys, and we're going to take communion together this morning. And I want to take a moment in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul talks about communion. He talks about taking a moment to examine ourselves. He talks about taking the opportunity to examine our own hearts before we take communion. And there's something important about this, but I think we often get it wrong. When I was a kid, I used to think this was like so scary to take communion and think, oh, is there anything in my heart? Like I would be so scared, right? Like I was going to like, like get smote dead or something if I took it and there was something in my heart. But what Paul was talking about all through the chapter of 1 Corinthians 11 is divisions in the church. And he said, examine yourselves. And then he goes on in another verse a little farther on to say, so you discern properly the body of Christ. What was he saying? He was talking about divisions in the church, people who were divided against each other, pitted against each other, rich and poor, different segregations of society. And he's saying, I want you to be very careful to discern those things. That person sitting next to you isn't less than you because I have mercy for them too. That person who has hurt and offended you isn't less than you. I have more than enough mercy for them too, whether you think they deserve it or not. So you better examine your own heart and make sure it's in sync with the heart of the Father and how he feels about the people sitting next to you. How he feels about that person who's wounded and hurt you. Are they any less deserving of his mercy than you are? Not a chance. Would we be able to begin to see people through eyes like that? To be able to look at the people that we would deem the worst and have mercy on them. And see that there's sin and suffering 
is a state that they found themselves in that they're barely aware of. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, some of his final words were, forgive them. Why? They don't even know what they're doing. They think they're doing the right thing. He was hurt, abused, abandoned, tortured, betrayed. Forgive them. He had mercy on them. He had compassion. No matter what had happened to him, he was always able to extend mercy to others. I want you to close your eyes for a second and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to take a moment and ask God if you've been walking in mercy and kindness towards others. Have you thought more of yourself than you should? Have you been overly judgmental or critical of someone else? Have you withheld forgiveness because you don't think that person deserves it? This is dangerous ground. And I wanna ask you this question, is your heart growing cold and hard or is it growing softer? Is mercy doing its work in your life? Is it breaking through all the hard places where you tend to step back into judgment and justice? Is mercy softening you? 